Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Emmanuel Church, my goodness, are you ready to go? Are you ready for a new series? Let's do it. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I don't get to do this a lot. This is really an honor and a privilege for me. I'm very thankful to be with you guys. Thank you so much for having me back. I want to do a quick shout out to all of our physical campuses, Garfield Park, Banta, Franklin, Greenwood. So good to be with Greenwood. And we got everybody online too. Thank you so much for coming out. If you don't know me or if you don't know who I am, my name is Cody. I'm the Emmanuel Church Greenwood campus pastor. And seriously, it is such an honor to be with you guys. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm excited for this new series. Look at this. Look at this graphic. It's got like the plumes of smoke. There's like color. It's beautiful. I love this. So it's called Encounters OT, and OT meaning Old Testament. And what this series is about is sort of like a link to a series that we did two years ago called Encounters. And the same main idea that was true then is true today, and it is this. When you encounter God, you walk away different. When you have an encounter with God, you walk away different. And two years ago, you can actually go back on YouTube. You can go to eclife.org, click the watch button. You can see some of the old series that we did. We were talking about Zacchaeus. We were talking about Levi. We were talking about the woman at the well. And we were talking about the sinful woman. And we are going to talk about four new individuals over the course of the next four weeks. I'm not going to spoil it right now. I'm not going to tell you all their names. I'm not even going to tell you the name of the person that we're talking about today. But I will tell you that as a result of these encounters with God, someone walked away with a little bit more wisdom. And I think we can all agree that having wisdom is not a bad thing. I don't think we've ever been at a point in our life when we said, you know what? I've got enough wisdom. Thank you. You can take what you just gave me. Someone after an encounter with God walked away with a little bit more clarity, not only on their life and their purpose, but what they're going to do for the rest of their day. So we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. Someone walked away with a little bit more mercy and a greater understanding of mercy, how to grant more mercy. And what we're going to find today during this message is that someone walked away with a limp after their wrestling match with God. Ooh, this would be a good one. I'm excited for this encounter. And based on my background, based on that I grew up as a wrestler, when it came time to pick who's gonna give this talk, I kinda had to slow play it and play it easy because it's like, I'm really excited and I really want this one, but I don't want the other people to know that I want it. So I'm like, yeah, sure, if you wanna give it to me, that's not a big deal, I could, I could do that, fine, that's not a big deal. So, that, so I got this one, I get to talk about it, so I'm excited. But Pastor Danny wanted me to talk about a time when I wrestled with God and I walked away wounded. And it's never a good idea when your boss's boss comes to you and asks you that question that you tell him, well, actually, I wrestled with God about taking this job. Not the best way to respond to it. But truthfully, I did. And I won't go into excruciating detail about that encounter, but I will tell you that the job I had before this, man, I was in love with it. I was a school counselor at a local high school. I got to work with students all the time. I got to work with some amazing administration, amazing teachers. It was fantastic. I really did love that job. I was the type of guy that as a counselor, students would come to me and they would bring me anything. If they're having trouble with relationships, if they're having trouble with their testing, if they're having trouble with people picking on them, like they would come to me. And it felt good to be that person that they could confide in. I loved that job so much. I was the guy at the end of the school day, if people were making out in the hallway, I would have to walk up to them and say, hey, if you could disconnect your faces for a little bit and go to the bus, I'd really appreciate it. 
so some of the students really loved me, some of the students really hated me. But I, I love my job. And working with students, there's just nothing like it. It was such a cool experience. You learn a lot from them. And I had to sacrifice a lot to put myself in position to get that job. I was going to school full-time, working at Butler University prior to being hired. I had to go to grad school full-time and get my master's because you need a master's to be a school counselor. So I was doing that full-time as well. I was traveling like three months out of the year, time away from my family, time away. We had a newborn at the time. Man, it was tough. But I sacrificed because I wanted to put myself in that position. I prayed, I journaled, I asked God. I felt like I was following his lead and we were in a good spot. And then I got a text message two years into my job at the high school. And it was from a staff member to Emmanuel. He actually still works here. And the text message, I'll never forget it. It's a, ooh, bumped in the box. The text message said, hey, how would you like to come work for Team Jesus? I was like, I was like one, that's a really funny text message. Uh, two, no, I think I'm good. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't wanna work in ministry. I've never worked in ministry. I have no idea what it takes. I have no idea what it's like. I think I'm good. But then God did something really interesting to me. When I have a wrestling match with God or when I encounter God personally, if I feel like I'm going against his leading or I'm not following his will, he does something really fun. Like he makes me queasy and he makes my stomach get all tied up in knots. I don't know if you guys can relate, like if you feel like you're doing something wrong. So he did that to me and immediately I knew what it was. I was like, you've got to be kidding you gotta be kidding, like I just sacrificed three months of my life to get in this school that I love and I'm finally getting the jokes, I'm finally getting the culture. I hate testing, but I can look past that. Like, like it's, I'm just in the spot that I thought I was supposed to be in. So naturally I go in, not for an interview, but a conversation. Because nothing ever happens when you just go to talk about the job. You don't get hired, nobody makes any decisions that way. So I go in, have a chat with a couple staff members, it's cool, I leave thinking I'm not gonna take the job, it's over, it's done. Then immediately, stomach, knots, cartwheels, backflips, churning. And I, God and I wrestled so much in the basement that night. And I remember just thinking, like, how, how can you do this to me? Like, I've prayed about this. I've journaled about this. We've talked about this. I don't want to start over. Like, I don't want to start over. I don't want to learn a new thing. I don't want to learn how to do ministry. I've already been here. I'm not the guy you're looking for. I pushed back and I bucked back real hard against God. And God showed me that I was being real egotistical and real prideful. And he wounded me bad, real bad. He showed me two things. One, he showed me that our assignments are never permanent, never. At any time, God can slide a job description right across that desk and say, hey, we did pray about this, we did talk about this, but I got a new opportunity for you. Are you gonna trust me? Are you gonna follow me? Are you gonna push back a little bit? Oh, thank you. So that was the first thing he taught me. The second thing he taught me is that I am a part of God's plan. God is not a part of my plan. And that was humbling. And that hurt my pride because like Pastor Danny talked about last week, I thought I had wisdom. I thought I knew how stuff worked. I didn't. I knew nothing. No nothing. So I carry that wound with me today. In fact, if you were to come up to me and ask me, so where do you see yourself in 10 years? What do you think you'll be? I'd probably say something like, I don't know. Why don't you ask God? I have no idea. He might want me to be a chicken farmer or a yoga instructor. I don't know. But please don't ask me today because I really like my job. I really like this job. I'm happy. I get to work with you guys. I get to see and know you guys. It's been such a huge blessing. So please don't ask him that question today. Please, I'm begging you. But that's me. What about you? How have you been wounded as a result of your encounter with God? Maybe it's been an ego thing or a pride thing. Like maybe you thought you knew how something worked. Situation at work, a situation in a relationship. And then God showed you a different way. He wounds you a little bit. Now you got to take back and say, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Maybe that's your wound. Maybe your wound is in a relationship. Man, we get wounded so bad in relationships, don't we? Like you place all this trust and all this faith. You think he or she is the one, they're wonderful. We've taken the pictures, we got the kids, we got the family, and then 
They step out. They cheat. They're unfaithful. Now you're wounded. Now your trust is wounded. And you carry that wound for a long time. Man, being single is hard too, isn't it? A lot of people think single is like easy street. I got all this extra money, got all this extra time. But if you're trying to meet somebody, man, that's tough. Because you keep putting yourself out there over and over again. You're trying to meet this person. You're nice. You think you're doing well. You think you're doing everything right. And God's not bringing you anybody. And that's wounded. Maybe now your faith is wounded. Your confidence is wounded. You got to wrestle with that. Maybe you've lost someone. As a result of this virus, like we've lost people. We've lost people in this church. Maybe it's been a family member or a friend. And you keep asking God, why? Why? Why now? What is the reason for this? And you're not getting any answers. Now maybe your faith and your trust is shaking a little bit. That's tough. Maybe you're a student. You get hurt. You get injured. You get a physical injury during a season like baseball, volleyball. Your season's taken away from it. You don't know why. You prepped. You prepared all these different things. Physical injuries and illnesses and afflictions, man, those are tough too because those can change the course of your life forever. You may have that for a long time. You may not get healed from it. That's a wound. And what I'm gonna do today is I'm not gonna be the guy that stands up here and says, you know what, you got a wound, that's tough. That's a bad break. Suck it up, trust in God and move on because that minimizes your pain and I don't wanna do that because here's what you and I both know about our wounds. Here's what all of us know about our wounds. Man, they hurt and sometimes they sting and they burn for a real long time. And it's not something that you just get over. It's hard, especially when you're wrestling with God about these wounds. So I never want to come across as the guy that's telling you, you know what, just deal with it. Suck it up. That's not what I'm going to do. Instead, what I want to do is just offer a different perspective, maybe a different way to look at it. Let's go to Scripture. Let's go to what God has to say about this and see if there is a different way to respond to this. Because here's what's true about God when we wrestle with him and we get wounded. Sometimes God wounds us so that he can bless us and so that he can change us. And that's not easy. It's hard. We're going to talk about that a little bit today with our very first encounter. The subject we're going to be discussing, we're going to talk about Jacob and his encounter with God, this wrestling match that he has, the battle on the beach. He goes one-on-one with the great one. It's amazing. It's like a movie. But before we get there, we need a little backstory on Jacob. We got, we got to understand his character, who he is, and kind of his mindset and his state of mind as he's going into this. And what you need to know about Jacob is that initially, especially in Genesis Early Genesis 25, 27, not a great guy, not great. In Hebrew, the word that is most closely associated with his name means deceiver or trickster. It's kind of a shyster. To to me, Jacob is a hustler. He's always looking to get ahead, always looking for the easy way to get the next thing. And he will double cross his own family to do that. One of the prime examples is when he works with his mom, he conspires with his mom to deceive his dad, who is blind, by the way, to deceive his dad so that he, he can steal the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau, which will drastically change the trajectory of his brother's life forever. Imagine you are in that position and your sibling works with your mom to deceive your dad, who's blind, double crosses him, and they steal something from you that's gonna make your life a whole lot worse forever. How are you gonna feel about that? Not great. And Esau didn't feel very great about it either. In fact, he made a vow to kill his brother. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, did he really say that? That's Old Testament. You could pull a lot of different meanings. No, it's pretty clear. Genesis 27. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. (laughs) So that about settles it then. So so Jacob's not starting off on a great foot. And he decides he's got to leave town. So he leaves his family, he flees the family, and he goes and stays with Uncle Laban for 20 years. For 20 years, he's with Uncle Laban and doesn't make this right with his brother. Hang on to that. That's an important part of the story. 
So he's with Uncle Laban for 20 years. I'm not gonna go into the details about every single thing that happened there, but what you need to know is that Jacob was actually deceived, ends up marrying two women. He's got two servant wives. He ends up having 11 kids, and he and Uncle Laban are always at odds. They're always button heads about something. Not a real great working relationship, so Jacob decides, I'm gonna take the family, I'm gonna pick them up, and we're out, we're gonna go. Laban, not happy. So he confronts Jacob about this. He's like, how could you do this? How could you take my family? And they have a little row. They end up making nice. They establish a covenant and 20 years pass. We think everything's fine. But Jacob comes to the realization that the brother that I double-crossed 20 years ago is coming. We are going to have a confrontation in the coming days. Jacob and his family are coming from the north. Esau is coming from the south. And it's about to go down here in like 48 hours. Not good. We've got to respond. What's the next move? What's the next hustle for the deceiver, right? So Jacob decides, okay, I'm not going to go myself because I'm not that guy. So I'm going to send my messengers. I'm going to send my boys. We're going to bribe him. We're going to smooth things over. We're going to use language like Jacob, you are my, or excuse me, Esau, you are my Lord. Jacob, me, I am your servant. Here are my messengers. Why don't you talk to them? And the next part in Genesis 32 absolutely cracks me up. To me, it's one of the funniest parts of the Bible. Because imagine, you're in this position. Your brother's double-crossed. You haven't seen him in two decades and he sends out these guys, and these guys say something like this. Hey, Esau, I know things went bad two decades ago. Believe me, we have heard this story a few times. Uh, but we have a gift for you. Don't know if you're interested in this. How about a nice heaping pile of goats? Would you be interested in some goats, Esau? We've got male goats. We've got female goats. Long beard, short beard, short horn, long horn. What do you need? What do you got? We've got these goats for you. The goat's not good enough. You need something else? Jimmy, bring the camels. You like camels? How about some camels? Esau, what's it going to take to put you in a brand new camel today, baby, huh? We have got free blankets. You got water stores. Look at this face. Look at this. Point them here. How are you going to say no to the camel? <laughs> Didn't go exactly like that. But that's the way I kind of read into it. It's just funny to me. And how do you think that encounter went between the messengers and Esau? You think that went well? Not so much. So the messengers go back to Jacob and they say, hey, we actually just ran into your brother. We met him. Genesis 32. We met your brother Esau. And he's already on his way to meet you neat, but he's not by himself. He has an army of 400 men. And it says Jacob was terrified at the news. Why was he terrified? Well, because if you're coming to collect a debt and you're bringing 400 people, you expect to collect some interest as well. Jacob knows that this means that he's dead. His wives are dead. Servant wives are dead. Kids are dead. And the camels are either going to be sold off or they're going to be killed. Not a good situation. He's terrified. So what's he do? He goes to God. Naturally, as we all do when we are fearful and terrified. So he goes to God and he says, Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hands of my brother Esau. I am afraid. Second time he's mentioned that he's afraid. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. That's what he says next. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly. God promised Jacob that he would surely treat him kindly. That's interesting. I want you to remember that as well, because that's important. So he goes to God, cries out that he needs help. And now the hustler realizes, i got to find a way out of this. I'm in deep. I've got to find a solution. So he's trying to think, maybe if I break up the group a little bit, that'll reduce some of the casualties. Maybe Esau won't kill us all. So they set up camp for the night, and Jacob's thinking, okay, we're good. We're going to set up camp. And then he has an epiphany. Ah, I'm going to take my family across the river, the Jabbok River. I'm going to take them across. I'm going to get them set up there. I'm going to come back by myself, and I'm going to stay here for the night alone, which sets us up for this encounter. This is the moment. 
So it continues in Genesis 32, and it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, which is interesting because this isn't really in line with his character up to this point. He's always putting people out front. He's always insulating himself with as many people as he can. So why did he go there alone? It's interesting to me. But now we're at the part where it's the encounter, right? Like we're getting ready to have this encounter. We've read about it. We've talked about it. You've seen it on YouTube. You probably learned this in children's ministry growing up. We talk about this all the time. And I'm thinking we're going to get details. We're going to get plot points. We're going to get like a blow-by-blow account of this wrestling match. And instead, this is what we get. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. That's, like, that's it? Are you kidding me? Like, is this a joke? Is it a joke? Like, the wrestler inside of me is dying when I read this. Like, like, you're killing me. You're absolutely killing me. Here's the thing you need to know about wrestling. One, this, this, this doesn't happen. Nobody just wrestles all night. Like, nobody does that. You know why? Because wrestling is, is really hard, and it's awful, and you can get injured, and you can get hurt, you can dislocate your fingers, you can blow out your ears, your ears look like Shrek, you get black eyes, you get bloody noses, broken bones. Like, it's a hard thing. People get hurt when they wrestle, especially the longer you go, because people get frustrated, their pride gets hurt, people punch each other, you get mad. So for eight hours, like, we're just wrestling with them all night, like, I, I need details, Why'd this guy just roll up on him in the middle of the night? There's 401 men coming. Is Jacob kind of annoyed? Because I would be, I got people trying to kill me and you want to work on single legs? You're killing me. What are you doing? Did he show up in like a competition singlet? Is he wearing like lycra and spandex like on the beach? By the way, this is a competition singlet. This is not a leotard. This isn't Cirque du Soleil. Like, I got so many questions about this, man. Like, and then you, you think about the length of time, like the, the eight hours, seven hours, six hours, who knows how long it was. Here's another thing about wrestling. It's exhausting. It's totally exhausting. You've probably seen high school wrestlers or college wrestlers, people, and you're like, I wonder why they're running. I wonder why they're doing all those burpees. Because it's tiring. You know how long a high school wrestling match is? Six minutes. College is even more grueling. It's seven it's so tiring. If college wrestling coaches want to torture their athletes, they will pit one on one and they'll say, why don't you go live for an hour? Go. And you talk to the athletes, like, so how was that? How did that go? They're like, oh, it was the worst day of my life. Why? Because I feel like I want to die. I'm tired. So this idea that, like, that it just goes on all night, to me, it's just so vague. Why is it so vague? So I read commentary after commentary. I'm looking in different translations. I'm listening to all these podcasts. I'm praying about it. I'm like, can you just show me something about this? It's like a movie and you're giving me no plot. And what I found, what I kind of came to realize is that this probably isn't the most important part of the story. That was tough for me. It's really tough for me. But it goes on. And a really interesting thing happens in the next verse. It says, when the man saw the stranger, the man in the night, not Jacob, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of his socket. So not only does this dude just roll up on Jacob in the middle of the night, they're wrestling for how many hours, who knows, on a beach with dust in their eyes, he pops his hip out of the socket. Thanks. That's great. Because now Jacob's more physically vulnerable than he's ever been in his life. He's getting ready to go into a confrontation with his brother who wants to kill him, and he's got one wheel. Thank you. So now he's hurt, he's wounded. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. We've been doing this for a while, I'm done. Please let me go. But Jacob's not letting go. Jacob with a busted up hip will not let this go. Why? Jacob then says this, I will not let you go until you bless me. Why is Jacob hanging on so hard for this blessing? Why won't he let go? Here's what I think. 
I think if he lets go without the blessing and he leaves this encounter without the blessing, he's a dead man and he knows it. This is his only play. This is all he's got. Because now he's going to go encounter his brother with, with a bad hip, no way to defend himself or his family. If he doesn't have any type of blessing, any type of protection, he's done. It's over. So the stranger, the strange man at this request says, what's your name? And Jacob replies, Jacob. He's got to verbally own who he's been. Remember, his name means deceiver. So now he's speaking it like I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. I'm a swindler. This is who I am. I'm a hustler. He's got to say it out loud and he's got to grapple with that. And this strange man looks at him and he says, well, that's not your name anymore. I'm going to give you a new identity today. I'm going to call you Israel. And Israel means you have wrestled with man and you've wrestled with God and you've prevailed. Did you catch that? Jacob caught it too. He knew exactly what this meant, but it was almost like he heard it and he's like, I don't believe this. And so he, he tells the man, please, please tell me your name. It's almost like he's pleading. You can almost hear the tremble in his voice when he realizes, oh, this is, this is who I've been wrestling with for eight hours. This is who it is. Please tell me your name. And God replies, why do you want to know my name? To say it another way, I just told you my name. In revealing your new identity to you, I told you who I was. I just said, wrestle with man, you've wrestled with Laban, you've wrestled with Esau, you've wrestled with all these different people, and now you've wrestled with God and you've prevailed. Why do you want to know my name? And then he blesses him, and that's the end of the encounter. I'm telling you right now, I would pay eight bucks for that movie. I would. I would. I'd get the milk duds. I'd just, oh, this is so good. I really would. Oh. But this, this is the end of the encounter that Jacob has with God. And his, his hip's out of place. He's in a bad way. And he's wounded as a result of this wrestling. Much like you and I get wounded after we have these wrestling matches with God. But here's what's true for Jacob, just as it's true with us. You get wounded, life still goes on. You get hurt, the next day's gonna come. And you've still got to deal with the problems. You've still got to deal with all these situations and all these different relationships that are coming just like Jacob had to do with Esau. He knows that confrontation's coming just because he's got a bum hip doesn't absolve him of what he's done, right? Same's true for all of us, which begs the question, what do we do with our wound? What's Jacob going to do? And I think what we need to do is we need to come to this place where we realize that it's not about the wrestling or the wound. It's about the response. That's gonna be the most important thing. The response is key. And nobody knew this better than Lou Gehrig did back in the 1930s. Anybody know who Lou Gehrig is? I'm saying this name, Lou Gehrig. Let's get a picture of him. Handsome guy, looks like a movie star. He's a baseball player for the New York Yankees back in the 30s. For lack of a better word, I'm not just bringing this up because I'm a diehard Yankees fan. Like, this guy was an absolute stud. Absolute stud. Six-time World Series champ, 340 batting average, two-time MVP. Guy played 2,130 consecutive baseball games without ever taking a break, a record that wouldn't be broken until the 90s. 1939. Nickname was the Iron Horse. This was a tough, tough dude and an amazing baseball player. But that's not why we remember him. We remember Lou Gehrig because Lou Gehrig is one of the most high-profile athletes or celebrities who was first initially diagnosed with ALS. 
So when you hear the phrase Lou Gehrig's disease, that's why. And Lou Gehrig got this diagnosis in 1939. I mean, they told him some bad news. You're never going to be able to play baseball again. Your career's over and you're out in like two years. Lou Gehrig would call this a bad break. He's a humble guy. So Lou had to figure out how he was going to respond to this. He had to figure out what he was going to do with this wound because he's a man of faith. He's a Methodist. He wrestled with God about this for like two weeks. So on July 4th, 1939, 81 years ago to the weekend, Lou Gehrig decides he's going to make a statement at a doubleheader on Lou Gehrig Appreciation Day between the Yankees and the Washington Senators between games. So he goes out to the middle of the mound, the middle of the field. There's 62,000 people in attendance hanging on this guy's every word because he's humble. He's not a talker. And he walks out there, there's reporters, they got their pencils in hand, like, what's this dude going to say? And he puts his hand on his hip, kind of strokes his mouth, and he says, today I consider myself to be the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Are you kidding? Lucky with this wound. We still talk about this speech every single year because it shows us the power that you can have when you choose to respond in a way that honors God. You can give people hope. You know how the world responded to Lou Gehrig? He was the first baseball player in Major League history to ever have his jersey retired. The Hall of Fame induction committee held a special ceremony to get him inducted to the Hall of Fame that year. That's not done. It takes years to get into the MLB Hall of Fame. Guy's incredible. And his legacy left a mark. He showed people that you can inspire hope with your wound. So how do, we, how do we adopt this mindset? How do we adopt this perspective? How can, we, how can we use our wound as a way to reflect these characteristics of God in the community, this humility? Well, I think there's, there's three ways, if you're following along in your notes. And the first, and this one's tough, you gotta humble yourself. This one's not easy, but you gotta humble yourself and realize that something greater might be at play. Maybe God's trying to do something with this to maybe not only bless you, but bless the people around you. Humility's hard. But Jacob did this so fast. Like this encounter happens in Genesis 32. He starts exhibiting humility in Genesis 33, like right out of the gate. So we look at Genesis 33. It says, then Jacob went on ahead. And hang out there for a second because before Jacob would send his boys out ahead, like for the encounter. Like he didn't want to go toe to toe with Esau. That's not him. But now it's the morning, like I gotta go confront my brother, so what does he do? He gets his family in line, he places wives here, servant wives here, all my kids, and he says, you know what, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna go out ahead. You know why this is so significant? Because he's a dead man. He's going to certain death. He is limping to certain death. He's laying down his life for his family and his friends. He's never done this. This is humility. And then it goes on to say, as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. This is the type of deference and respect that was only reserved for royalty, for kings. You don't waste this type of respect and humility on your brother. And keep in mind, he's got a dislocated hip. You know how hard it would be to bow down on the ground if your hips popped out of the socket? It'd be excruciating. He puts himself through this to humble himself in front of his brother. What is his brother's response? Does Esau run up and grab him by the neck and choke the life out of him because of all the anger that's been pent up for the past two decades? It's quite different. Instead, Esau sprints to him and he throws his arms around his neck in an embrace and he hugs him. And it says they kissed. And it says they wept. And it says they had reconciliation after two decades. You think the response would have been the same if Jacob would have acted arrogant? If he would not have humbled himself in that moment? 
Or you think it would have been a little bit different? You think God was wrestling with Esau those 20 years? Because that's what we forget sometimes. Like we think we're the only people that God's wrestling with. God's wrestling to both people on, the, on both sides of the wound in a relationship. And he was wrestling with Esau as well. Humility. And they could have gratitude in that moment. They're just grateful to be in each other's presence. Jacob would go on to say, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And he would know because he just saw him. It's amazing. And this idea of gratitude, it leads us to step two. You can replace your fear with gratitude. Such an important step. Replace your fear with gratitude. Again, not easy, but it's possible. In Genesis 33, Jacob is talking to Esau. And Jacob says, please take this gift I have brought you, the camels, the goats. For God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. To me, that's strange because God just jumped you in the middle of the night and wrestled you for eight hours on a riverbank and he popped your hip out of your socket. What do you mean you have more than enough? What do you mean you're gracious? I don't get this. He's gracious because he can see the blessings and the changes that God is already instituting into his own life. Think about it. Jacob now has safety. He doesn't have to worry about his family being killed. Jacob's humble. He's never been humble in his life. He's humble. He has reconciliation with a brother after two decades. It's beautiful. He has this. And he has no room for fear with all this gratitude in his life. As Coach Tom Ryan, the head coach of the Ohio State wrestling team, says, you can't be fearful and grateful in the same moment. There's no room for fear when you're occupied with this much gratitude. And Jacob knows that. It's his new identity now. I'm grateful. I have gratitude. And once you can adopt that as your identity, you can move to the third step, which is to own your new identity. You can own it because you're grateful. Paul may have experienced more trials and tribulations than anyone in Scripture. Not once did he ever blame God. Not once. In 2 Corinthians, look what Paul is saying about these struggles and these trials. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses I take delight in my wound and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Why do I take pleasure in this? For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's true about you is what's true about Jacob. You might have been fed this lie your whole life that when you're wounded, you're dead. When you're wounded, you're done. When you're wounded, it's over for you. That's your new identity now. It's garbage. What you need to know about your wound, when you can step in with God and you can adopt your new identity, and this is what's true about Jacob, Jacob was never stronger than when he took that first wounded step with God. It was the strongest he'd ever been in his life. The same is true for you. When you can walk with God and understand that it is his power that gives you strength and not your own, man, your life will change. A lot of people think that when you're wounded, it's an, it's an opportunity for predators to prey on you and all your vulnerabilities. That's not true. Your wound should be a warning sign to everyone around you that says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because you are. But only if you have that presence of God within you and inside of you. And it's hard. It's not easy. But it's possible. We've seen it time and time again throughout history. So I want to leave you with a question today. How will you respond to your wound? Are you going to let your wound define you? Is it going to define the path of your life moving forward and determine how you act and how you treat other people, how you treat yourself, how you love yourself? Is it going to determine your relationship with God? 
Is your wound gonna press you down and beat you into submission or are you going to respond to it in the same way that Lou Gehrig did? Just take a step back and see a different perspective and a different opportunity to bless others with your pain. Chase and Sadie Smith have done this to a T. They've done it beautifully. They're using that wound to impact the lives of others for Christ in positive ways. They're setting in motion ripples that they'll never see. It's incredible. Jacob did the same thing. Will you be able to take a step back and humble yourself and realize that God might be using this for a bigger purpose? We'll be able to take a step back and realize that fear and gratitude can't occupy the same space. Will you be grateful in those moments to appreciate those blessings? After this encounter at this wrestling match, will you be able to own this identity? Because what's true is God may not be sitting from across from you and saying, you know what, your new name's Israel. But there's power in your identity that is afforded to you if you step into this relationship with God. And I think you can. And I think if you do, it's gonna change your life. And there are people today who've been having a different type of wrestling match. They've had a different type of encounter. Maybe they've had an encounter with some of you because you won't quit bugging them about coming to church. You won't quit inviting them. You won't quit talking to them about it. You won't quit relentlessly pursuing them. And now they've got to wrestle with this. They don't know what to do about it. Maybe this is something they've been wrestling with their whole life. Maybe they're wounded from a past experience that they've had with church. They went, somebody made a comment about what they wore, about what they said, the way their hair looked. They didn't grow up in this church. They don't have a place here. That's a real wound for a lot of people. Maybe that's your wound. And what I'm here to tell you today is I'm not here to invite you to a church. If this ends up being your home church at the end of the weekend, that's fantastic. And we will welcome you with open arms across all of our campuses online. We will treat you like family. But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you might need to wrestle with today. That's what you might need to respond with today. Maybe you've got that feeling in your gut like I've had, like it's doing somersaults, it's doing knots, and somebody told you that somebody died for you and you don't know how to process it. Well, it's true. Jesus Christ did die for you. He allowed himself to be tortured and mocked in a way that we can't fathom. He was crucified, killed on a cross, nailed to two pieces of wood for you and me and our families. He took all of this pain so that you could be forgiven for your sins and spend eternity with God if you just step in, if you just ask for forgiveness and if you place your trust in this act. He rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. If you believe in this, you can spend eternity with God today. Are you wrestling with that? Are you ready to respond to that today? If you are, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. You take these words, you pray them straight to Jesus Christ, you make them your own. And if you're somebody who's already made this decision, whether you're at our physical campuses or you're online, do not miss this opportunity to pray for the brother or sister next to you who is wrestling with this. Pray for them. This is the most important decision they're ever gonna make in their life. Let's pray. Jesus, I come to you broken. I am a sinner. I have made mistakes. But Jesus, I am asking you to forgive me today, to cleanse me, to wash me. Jesus, I acknowledge that you died on a cross for me. I place my faith and my trust in the fact that you rose from the dead three days later. 
so that I could be forgiven for my sins. Jesus, I love you and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. It is in your name I humbly pray. Amen. Man, if you just prayed this prayer, we want to lose our minds in excitement with you. Can we give it up for these people who just prayed this prayer? Man! We are so excited, in fact, that we want to send you a free gift to get you started on your journey with Christ. This is a save box. If you text the word save to 65248, we'll actually mail this to where you live. Inside is a New Believers New Testament Bible. It's got a reading plan so you can get started on your journey with Christ. And it's got a coffee mug, just as our way of saying congratulations and a little gift for you. Can we give it up one more time for what God is doing in this church? Man, I'm so thankful. Seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for your attention. Thank you guys for your love and your patience. I love doing this. It's a blast and it's humbling every time I get to do it. But now I wanna kick it to our local teams where they're gonna pray for us. They're gonna dismiss us. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming out.